Hey everyone, welcome back to the Last Word on Sens podcast. As always, I am your host, Alex Metzger. Joining me today, making his return to the podcast, the one and only Derek Lee, co-host of the Future Sickos podcast. Derek, thank you so much for taking some time out of your night to join me. How's it going, man? Oh, you know, it's going well, Alex. Uh, we just have this annual chat now, I think. So uh, I'm looking forward to uh, chatting Sens um as per the usual i guess uh you know we we tend to do that every year kind of teeing up the season so uh i'm doing well how about yourself yeah i'm doing good I, i'm getting excited the season's just around the corner um this time next week we will be watching ottawa senators regular season hockey which is uh kind of crazy to think about um you know like it's the, the summer really flew by I, th- I don't know about if that's how you felt as well but for me i really felt like the summer went quickly and that this season is it's here very fast uh, and hopefully next summer is even shorter. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> From a right? hockey perspective. Yeah, exactly. And that would mean they're probably playing into April or May, um, you know, with some actual playoff games. That would be nice. And, you know, that's a good thing. If people are wondering what we're doing today, um, you know, it just kind of works out. I, I don't know if I've even planned it, but I, I did look the last time I had you on. It was September of last year. And, you know, it was kind of the same idea. Obviously, season started a little later last year. But, um, you know, we were just previewing the season, kind of going over the off season, And um, I think it's very fair to say that it's a much different tone this year than it was around this time last year. You know, last year, the the talk was the same all summer where we're going to go get this one or this top line player. We're going to go get like a stud top four defense. We're going to improve our team. And then just none of that actually happened. And truthfully, like, you know, it's probably fine that they didn't get a top six center because they had two breakout and Josh Norris and Tim Stutzla uh, when they moved him to center as well. But, you know, this summer, the, the expectations were just as high going in. But instead of absolutely nothing happening, they go get, obviously, an absolute star in Alex Tabrinkit. Uh, you know, they trade amazing trade. Anyone Hawks fans were pissed about it. Anyone you ask is like, oh, this is a great trade for Ottawa. They didn't have to give anything up of much value. Um, and then obviously they go and sign one of the biggest names on the free agent market in Claude Giroux, arguably one of the biggest signings they've ever had in, the, in their team's history. So, um, you know, and, and that's without obviously mentioning guys like Cam Talbot, which we'll unfortunately have to get to in a, in a second here, but it's just been a great off season for the Ottawa Senators and the vibes are just so, so much better this time around. Yeah. It's uh, you know, I hate bringing this up, but it, it does seem to go back to the passing of Eugene Melnick and, um, and the vibes sort of, you know, the vibes that you mentioned sort of changed almost immediately after that, it seems. And ever since then, this team has been on, on the rise, on the up and up. And it seems that Pierre Dorian just has the green light to go out and do whatever he wants to do. Um, and he did whatever he wanted to do this summer. And, you know, you mentioned the names. Um, even a player like Tyler Mott is a really underrated third line player that, you know, nobody's talking about Alex Formanton's absence because of how impressive Tyler Mott's been in the preseason. So, um, so yeah, I mean, all the moves that you mentioned, obviously Alex to being the most shocking, I think the one that came out of nowhere on draft day where, um, you know, just before that, it looked like uh, Matt Murray blocked a trade to the Sabres that looked really bad for the Ottawa senators. And, Everyone was saying, you know, here we go again. Ottawa's probably going to do something that <laughs> we're all going to be really pissed off about. And, you know, they're going to say we're looking at a top six forward and it's going to be something very underwhelming. And, and uh, 
And then, you know, the shock happens and Alex DeBrinkett is an Ottawa Senator and Claude Giroux is an Ottawa Senator. And then they strengthen the net, which, you know, resulted in an unfortunate injury uh, with, with Cam Talbot to start the season. But I mean, even that was a good move. And then, uh, like I mentioned, the Tyler Mott move and the emergence of uh, Jake Sanderson, you know, coming up and Shane Pinto as well, who we didn't have for 99% of all last season. So, um, so this team is vastly different than the team that we seen at the beginning of last season, which didn't even have Brady Kachuk on the roster. Um, and uh, the expectations are definitely uh, much higher as well. Yeah. And even just, you know, off the ice, um, Elfordson in the hall of fame, Elfordson and Phillips are back around the team more and more now. Um, you know, like obviously people haven't quite gotten their wish with Elfordson in a front office role. And I'm starting to wonder if that's just, a personal decision, which would be totally fair. You know, some guys are, they're retired from hockey. They just want to watch and enjoy hockey. They don't want to work in it, which I would not blame him even the slightest, but it's just nice seeing his face around, you know, and even just, you know, small stuff like uh, it was the prospect camp where the teams were called team Phillips and team Alfredson, like instead of just red and black or whatever it's been in the past couple of years, like those are just really good small things that, you know, obviously that can't be all that's happening, but when you, look at all the on ice moves that they've made it's nice seeing some of those little off ice moves go a long way as well and it's just again like it's just been such a fresh start and uh, this is the most excited i've been in a season for for a very long time like 2018 i was very excited too obviously coming off the conference final trading for matt duchene we all know how, how that ended up but like even before that like i don't think anyone was like thinking going into 2017 oh this is a conference final team no doubt they were coming off of missing the playoffs right so like this is rightfully so the most excited the fan base has been in a while and not only because you know the team actually looks like it should be better but it's because there's reason to have optimism it feels like for the first time in a long time there's a long-term plan for this franchise and even if you know we'll, we'll talk about what we see coming this season but even if they don't make playoffs this year you know it's like as long as it's not a total disaster which i don't see why it would be there's still going to be optimism because there's still that plan for where you're progressing. And like, again, even that, like the, the clear plan of like, Hey, we got like a five or six year window with our core locked in here. That's not even really something we saw in the Carlson years uh, at times, you know, like, so it, it felt like they were on the bubble. Sometimes they were rebuilding. Sometimes they felt they were a contender and then they missed the playoffs. So they're rebuilder, like kind of retooling again. Um, you know, this has just been the most concise vision I've seen in a while. And that's a very good thing for hockey team to have. Absolutely. Like you hit the nail on the head with that. I mean, this, this off season, it, it genuinely feels like the team is listening to the fan base um, for the first time in like, I don't even know how long, um, like you said, and, and it seems like they have the autonomy to do what they want to do now without, um, you know, and I keep, I keep bringing this up, but without Melnick sort of in the way of himself, like sometimes he would just get in the way of himself Um and now that the team is definitely forward thinking, um, you know, thinking about the long-term future in every way, not just on the ice, but off the ice as well. You know, we talk about LeBreton Flats and that project potentially coming together behind the scenes and how important that is for the future of the Ottawa Senators as well. So uh, there's just so many positives. It's almost hard to hit on all of them. The extension of Tim Stutzla and Josh Norris, um, you know, another couple of key points um, to bring up and, and there is some recent talks of Alex DeBrinkett potentially signing an extension as well. So um, it, it just seems like they're able to lock these players up that previously seemed impossible to attract 
long-term contracts to Ottawa. I don't know if it's the Brady Kachuk effect or just the overall change of the team. Like the, these players were at camp two weeks ahead of schedule. All the players on the team, every single player was just there two weeks, two weeks ahead of schedule, which is absolutely unheard of. Like these players generally like their summers and their, you know, their golf season. Um, and everyone said, no, this year we want to start and we want to hit the ground running and we're all coming to camp early. And it's, that's just that, that culture as well, that sort of drives that locker room. So there's so many neat storylines and dynamic to, to talk about heading into this season and what a vast difference, what a 180 it is from years previous. It, it's really a nice thing. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a great point to uh, place to start anyways with this preview, because uh, the, the biggest differential in this season very well could be the way this team starts. And, you know, um, by that, I mean, they, they've won their last two openers of the season, actually, against Toronto. And I think it was Toronto both years, if, if I'm not yep. mistaken. Um, you know, so they, they've won the last two years. And then after that, it's just headed so downhill. And that shortened season, they started like one nine and one to like two ten and one. It was just a disaster. Last season, I remember it being bad when I was writing, but when I had to go back and actually take a look for, uh, like, look at the the start of the season roster because I was like, oh, like they had a bad start. I want to pull up the record. I was like, I think it was like two and seven or or something like that. Um, no, it was a four fifteen and one start. So in their first twenty games, they had a total of nine points, um, and it, it's frankly amazing that they they managed to finish. I think it was seventh ninth last or something like that in the standings it's almost amazing they managed to finish that high considering how bad the start was um that is clearly going to be have to be the biggest difference maker and you know you've already pointed at brady kachuk didn't start the year last year and i thought he was you know missing camp i i do think it was pretty obvious he was just getting used to it for the first couple games you know and which is to be expected if you're not getting to play in you know i i don't we were talking off camera. I don't watch too much preseason game. I don't like putting stock in. I feel a lot of people will react. And just, I know I'm going to watch a lot of hockey. That being said, I've also seen people have the takes of like, scrap the preseason. You can't do that either. I think it's a little long. It probably doesn't need to be eight games. But I think if you have four or five games to get the guys, get their legs under them, get back up to speed, that is perfect, you know? And Brady Kachuk did not get to do that last year. That is, everyone has made it very clear this year. That is not going to be the case. Um, you know, just, as you said, they were here two weeks early. They've been bonding this entire time. Um, you know, I would, I don't, I'm not saying this team didn't get off to a nine and one start or anything like that, but the absolutely most crucial part of the season, in my opinion, is getting off to a much better start than they have the past two years, because that'll just immediately put themselves in a much better place. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the pressure is on DJ Smith as well, right off the bat, right? Cause if they struggle off the bat again, right out of the gate, his job is in jeopardy. And I, I like DJ Smith. I really like his attitude. I love his energy. Like, I think, I think he is a big contributor to that culture that, uh, that we were just talking about earlier. Um, so I'm really hoping for DJ Smith's sake that the senators get off to at least a 500 start through the first, you know, 15 or so games, because like you said, you can't be that far behind the eight ball. If you hope to be, in those conversations that the trade deadline and post trade deadline, as you get later on in the season and the senators put themselves out of it immediately uh, the last couple of seasons. So uh, that that's where I think part of that uh, plan that Pierre came up with was that, that extended preseason. He really wanted to, to drive home that it's important to get off to a running start. And 
I think that's why they're playing so many games. Cause I think teams have a sort of a decision to make, you know, do you want to play five or six games or do you want to play something like eight or nine games? And, and I think that the trip is interesting too, to, uh, to Newfoundland because it's an, it, or to, to PEI, I think they are uh, right now, but it, it's an interesting uh, kind of bonding experience for this team. And it's, it's kind of a new group, right? Like there's a lot of new pieces in there that, uh, are just getting to know each other. And, um, and I think it's, you know, the fact that Debrinket went from, let me feel out the season first before talking about a contract to the season hasn't even started yet. And it's clear in the media that they're talking contract and extension that speaks volumes to that culture, because I think, you know, that's probably the, the lure for him. I'm sure he hasn't got to see much of the city yet. And, and, you know, and see what it's like for families and, you know, whatever Ottawa has to offer as a city, but it's probably as soon as he seen how that culture is and how that team operates and just how well he fit in there being a young American player, which is, you know, happens to be all of what the senators are built on essentially. Um, it's just such a fit for him. And if they can get him extended, that just means uh, the, the most to that team, I think. I totally agree. I, I mean, like it's um, it would be amazing. Imagine the piece of news. And then honestly, I think, you know, it depends. Some guys play well in a contract year. Some don't like the the performance or the thought of an upcoming contract. Right. So, you know, I, who knows how that would affect the brinket, but it would just be such a cap to just finish off the off season, right. As you're getting started with a Debrinket extension. Um, I, I'm not really worried about it either way. You know, if he wants to play the season out still, I'm totally okay with that. You know, I would have been worried, a little more worried about it, maybe if, you know, Stutzla and Norris also weren't signed or something, or well, I guess Norris had to sign, but, you know, Stutzla didn't sign his extension and he had a couple big guys coming up. I might've been a little more Norris worried. They've locked in this entire core. I feel good that they will try and get to bring it done. And, you know, I, I don't think it's going to be a worry too much about, you know, money up front they seem to be comfortable with that obviously they i i have heard rumors that there is some kind of internal budget still but it's a much higher budget than what they've had in years past and and that's what matters and quite frankly that's okay you know like if you if this team says that we're not going to be an 82.5 million dollar payroll team we'd rather be closer to 77 million dollars that's fine you can still put a very competitive team out there with that and on again that's $25 $25 million better than what the payroll has been in the past couple of years. So, um, you know, I, I'm just, I'm really excited to see this forward core get to work in action because, you know, um, they have so many options. I'm really curious. I, I think it, it seems pretty obvious that they're going to start with, you know, um, Kachuk, Norris, Batherson up front, and then the second line, well, it's de facto second line, just on paper. I'm sure they'll be used in first line ways is going to be a Giroux, Stutzler to bring it second line and then some probably Mott, Pinto and um, Matthew Joseph on that third line. And I really love that top nine, but what I'm even more intrigued by, and, and I'm totally great with those combinations to start, but what I'm even more intrigued by is if it doesn't work out or if there's a couple of games where guys are going slow, I really think you have the ability to mix up this top nine so that if you're playing a team, say, I'm trying to think of a team, a, a team right off the top of my head who have three really good lines. Um, 
maybe Toronto. Like if Toronto puts Nylander down to the third line or something, mm-hmm. I feel like the Senators can match that with like a, a Drake Batherson down on the third line. Or, you know, maybe you put uh, – like you move Matthew Joseph up to the top line, uh, put Nor- uh, Claude Giroux down to the uh, third line with someone on, on his wing to help him a little bit. I just think there's a ton of options where they can mix and match this top nine, and I don't think you can really go wrong, which is just – such a nice feeling because we had Chris Tierney in our top six for at times last year. And again, it's just such a fresh breath of breath of fresh air, but I'm curious, what do you want to see from the forward core this year? Do you like the lines, how they are, or are, you know, are you looking to get them mixed up as the year goes on a little bit too? I think it's inevitable that, you know, throughout the course of the season, you're going to have ups and downs and you're going to have, you know, chemistry that works really, really well at times. And then chemistry that sort of fades away at times. So um, so like you said, to your point, to keep things interesting, absolutely. You can mix those lines up kind of any way you want to jig them. And, you know, you have guys that can play, you know, Matthew Joseph, for example, can play the right side, can play the left side. Alex Dabrinka can do the same thing. Claude Giroux can play the middle as well as he can play the wing. So you just have all these guys that you can mix and match, like you said, and you can come up with, you know, different lines if things go a little bit stale offensively, but it's, you know, watching preseason and I don't want to put too much stock into preseason. We were just talking about that, but um, it's hard to imagine that offensively things are going to dry up for the senators with, uh, with the depth that they have. And, and it's funny that you had a hard time thinking of a team that would really match up to the top nine. I mean, there's so much, um, I guess, stock into, you know, people talking about the top six and how good is Ottawa's top six versus this team's top six. And, and I really would focus on the top nine, like you were talking about, because it really is that top nine that's as good as anybody in the league. I think that uh, that DJ Smith's going to have uh, just that ability to, to match up. I think you can match up the, the Pinto line really looking like a shutdown line to me because they're all really good defensively. You know, you could match up that line to take out the other team's top line and match them defensively. And that frees up your other two lines. And if, you know, the, Timmy line is slow one night, then hopefully the Kachuk line will be going and vice versa. Um, so that's kind of what we've seen throughout the preseason is, is that having that forward depth that they just haven't had before. And, uh, and ultimately it makes a huge difference. Uh, you know, and the power play is another really interesting topic of conversation when it comes to that group of players, because there's such a large group of players that would, you know, traditionally be on the first power play unit on many other teams, but here you're having to sort of divide those guys up. And I'm sure that's another thing that's throughout the season, you're going to see that tornado effect and you're going to see a a multitude of different players. So I do think it's genuinely an overreaction when people get mad at, you know, this guy's not on the number one unit. Well, what's the number one unit? It's the, whoever's hot that night. And I think DJ alluded to that as well. So there isn't really a, you know, a number one, two line. It's just whoever's good is going to go. Yeah, and the, with the power play, I, I stayed out of the power play debate on Twitter the other week. Um, <laughs> I, I didn't want to get sucked into that too early. You know, I, I did, my personal take is that I think a 40-goal scorer in Alex Debrinkit should absolutely be on power play one. Um, that being said, they do have like eight guys and Eric Branstrom that are probably mm-hmm. normally on a power play one. And, and, you know, like Brady's your net front guy, you know, um, you, and there's not much better than him at, you know, jamming pucks right in front of the net. So I think he stays there. 
you have Norris with his deadly shot. You have Dabrinkit with his deadly shot. Giroux is one of the best passers in the league. And then obviously you always have Thomas Shabbat on the top of the Wu line as well. Um, you know, and then we didn't men- mention Stutzel or Batterson in that, which is just absolutely crazy, right? Like Or, or Pinto, who's or been Pinto. maybe yeah. the most underrated power play performer. I mean, again, putting too much stock in the preseason, but holy moly, can that guy shoot a puck? Yeah, and so and you know, and Brandstrom, his rate numbers looked better. He just didn't get the results oh. all on the power play. But his rate, like the the chances yeah. they created when he was on that power play were just phenomenal. So I, I'm very curious to see what they do. I don't think they will, but the one thing I, I would even be okay with them experimenting sometimes is if they really want to get like Stutzla a couple extra looks on that quote unquote power play one, play five forwards. I'm fine with that. You know, you don't have to do that every time. And you know, if mm-hmm. it's Closer to the end of a power play, you probably want to have at least one defenseman out there. Um, but, you know, it's not like like Thomas Shabbat roams the offensive zone on a power play enough anyways. It's not like this guy's playing lockdown D on a power play. And if if you need someone to do that, you're doing the power play wrong anyways, right? So I, I would be curious to see if, you know, they get a little risky with it sometimes. If you need a goal, try and play five forwards. But honestly, like they have eight or nine guys on this team where it's like you could put any combo of them out. And they're going to do, and that's, and like even Matthew Joseph, like he did, if he's your 10th guy, so he's your fifth option on power play too. Again, that just shows to how good, how deep your team is offensively. Absolutely. And, you know, to, to that point of the, you know, the five forwards, I mean, Stutzla could easily, I mean, he has the speed to get back. Like you said, it's not like Shabbat's out there playing lockdown D. So, you know, if there's a transition play the other way, Stutzla is not a defenseman, but if it's a one-on-one play, you can count on the forward to break up a one-on-one play, not as well as a defenseman, but it's, you know, it's a power play opportunity. So like you, like you said, to your point, I think there's, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of people that believe the same thing, you know, put out five forwards. If you really have to, if you're down a goal, or if you're, even if you're up a goal and you want to put the other team to bed and put them down a goal, then, uh, you know, load up on that power play. And I, I think that's going to be such a key factor to Ottawa's success this season is the power play. It's the man advantage. You know, it's going to be vastly different again from what we saw last season because they relied so heavily on five young players where now you've got an Alex to bring it and a Claude Giroux who just seems unbelievable on the man advantage, his composure, uh, everything sort of runs through Giroux and, and he's just, uh, still an unbelievable player, uh, especially on the power play. The fact that he can win you that draw right away, that can sometimes that can buy you an extra 30 seconds, right? I mean, if the other team dumps it out and you, and we saw Ottawa's struggles at times to um, enter the zone with the puck cleanly, you know, that could waste 30 seconds of your, of your power play right there. So the fact that Giroux just wins that draw almost every time I would have him out there on my number one, whatever my number one unit is. So, uh, and in the preseason, it's really looking like the Giroux right now, they've got a Giroux Pinto uh, to bring it with Sanderson up top and Mott being the net front guy. And that is clicking like beyond belief. It's the preseason. Again, I keep, keep talking about that, but wow, does that unit look, uh, look deadly? I mean, you've got the Pinto weapon in the middle. He kind of hangs out in the high slot. You've got Giroux, like I said, everything's running through Giroux, but Sanderson quarterbacks that entry as well. And he's so good at it. Um, just such a smart player. Doesn't look like he's 20 years old. Um, and obviously Alex to the biggest threat on that, uh, on that left circle being a right shot. So 
There's just all kinds of weapons on that power play. It's a lot of fun to watch. Every time they're on the power play, I'm, I'm already standing up waiting for the goal. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think what's going to be obvious is I would be absolutely shocked if one of the, whatever the units they decide on is way more aggressive than the other in terms of time on ice. I think it's going to be a lot closer oh, yeah. to 50-50, right? You know, there's some teams like the Washington power play. Ovechkin's out for two full minutes and most of the guys that play with him, you know, Backstrom Carlson, they're out there for a minute 35, a minute 40. And that makes sense because they can load up that top power play unit. The Maple Leafs, again, I reference them. They're a very similar one where it's like you got your big guns in Marner, Matthews, Tavares, uh, you know, Nylander, and then Riley on that top unit. There's not as much depth there. With the Senators team, there's a little more depth. You know, you're going to see a minute 10 for unit one, 50 seconds for minute, uh, unit two. Next power play might switch. Maybe unit two goes out there for a minute and five and, and unit one goes out for 55 seconds or whatever. I think it'll be a much more even split than, you know, other teams. And again, I think that's very good reason. Um, you know, the, the other thing I'd be okay with seeing Shabbat play a little less power play time, not because he's not good at it, but, you know, it's, I think, easier to play, you know, especially when you have a guy like Branstrom, who clearly has the puck moving skills. And Sanderson is another one that's going to get lots of looks on this power play. But I think if you can even save Shabbat, say, and I know power play minutes aren't usually the most, like, exerting, but if you can even save him 35 to 40 seconds a night on not doing power play and put that battle on five on five, where you desperately need him playing as much as you can, I think that could be very beneficial in the long term, or even just 35 seconds less of ice time a night, because we've seen him climb up to like 26, 27 minutes in games that are just, they're not in it and they're not even close to the playoffs. You know, they don't need to preserve his legs every night or anything like that. But if you can buy a couple extra seconds here and there that, you know, he maybe doesn't have to exert his, his himself so much. I think that'll go a long way in a long season in which, you know, let's be honest, we haven't seen Shabbat play a full season in a couple of years now. And some of that's just freak injury, but I, I think, you know, the amount of time he's playing also is a part of that. And if they're going to be pushing for a playoff spot at the end of the year, you need Thomas Shabbat to be as healthy and as good as ever. And, you know, I think limiting his minutes just here and there, not drastically, but here and there at the start of the year could be a big benefit benefit in that as well. Yeah, that's definitely key. It might be a hard conversation with Thomas Shabbat. I mean, mind you, like, yeah, you know, hey, Thomas, we're going to take away some of your power play time to save you some minutes um, where he might say, hey, th those are my easy minutes, you know. Uh, that's what that's where I want to play. But I agree with you. I mean, he's a great puck distributor, but if we're being honest, he doesn't have a cannon from the point. Um, whereas I think Brandstrom, he's a little bit more creative on the power play. You know, that there is definitely some benefit to playing Brandstrom a little bit more on the power play. He's a, to me, a better uh, breakout, like his breakout pass is better than anyone on the team. Um, he, he's pinpoint on that breakout pass, but he's great on the blue line. Um, at the top of that umbrella on the power play, he really, uh, he maneuvers so well. He's so creative. Um, and Sanderson as well, just looks like he fits in so well on the, uh, that top of the umbrella that, uh, yeah, I think that is an area that you can limit Shabbat a little bit, um, without offending him. Like you still got to put him out there. You're not, yeah. He's not getting zero time. power play minutes or anything like that. No. It's just, if I don't know what he averaged last year, but if it was a minute 29, we'll say on average, maybe that's 55 seconds, you know, or for a little bit. And then maybe when you're behind a goal, that's when you let him just go run wild again or something. But like just limiting the minutes is important, I think, not eliminating them. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, yeah. And, and Shabbat, I mean, you, like you said, you need him 
And that can be the explanation, right? Like he, he's the most important player still on this team because the deep, the, the defense isn't, um, you know, I don't, I don't even think they're done with the defense, but the looks of the defense still relies heavily on Shabbat and Zub um, currently. So, you know, you, you need that guy later in the season if you plan on making a playoff push. So you do really have to preserve. He can't be playing the, the, the amount of minutes he's been playing last couple of seasons. DJ's already said that publicly, but you also need to have people that can take on some of those minutes. So, you know, there's a lot of expectation on some really young players like Jake Sanderson, for example, and even Eric Brandstrom, if, you know, if he's going to be a player on this team in the future, which is, you know, kind of up in the air. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, speaking of done with the defense, I want to get your take. Zaitsev, on or off the opening oh. day roster? Oh, Zaitsev cannot be. I, I have, I've had it watching this guy play hockey. I don't want to be mean and cruel. And I'm sure Zaitsev off the ice, I'm sure he's a great person. Um, just not good on the ice. <laughs> it's just a fact at, at this point. I mean, even tonight in the preseason, there was one play, and, and I felt bad for Eric Brandstrom. He just left him. He completely bailed on the play. He's watching the play. And he gets the blinders up and he's not a breakout option for Brandstrom. Brandstrom's double teamed. There's two halves on him in the corner and Zaitsev just gets caught puck watching. And you could see that the front of the net, that two halves come to the front of the net. And I'm like, here we go. Like this is going to be an easy goal. And Brandstrom, you know, fought out of it and ended up with the puck somehow. But Zaitsev was not a breakout option at all. Like he should have been behind the net ready to, um, accept a feed from Brandstrom and then the two people converging on him, you know, wouldn't have uh, caused that board battle to happen because Brandstrom would have had a pass option, but um, it's little things like that, right? It's the, the little micro things that you're looking at, because if you watch Zaitsev overall, you're like, well, yeah, he's all, he's all right. He's defending well and he's physical and he's battling in front of the net and he's blocking shots. But then you start to realize when you watch him in more detail why the Senators are defending all the time when he's on the ice and why they're having to just flip the puck back to the neutral zone and resort back to defending. And it, it really is those little things that it, it, it comes back to hockey sense and he just doesn't have the hockey sense to hang in the NHL, um, at least not on this team. You know, if you wanted to send him to a Arizona, for example, who might be trying to, you know, go pretty hard for Connor Bedard or whatever the expression is, um, that might be a good option. And he could be a good veteran person. Again, like I'm sure Zaitsev is a good person um, who works hard and, and commits himself. DJ uh, even said in the offseason, he, he showed up in great shape and I'm sure he did, but it's never been about how good a shape Zaitsev is. It's, it's really his hockey sense. It's just not there. Um, and it really limits whoever he's playing with. Um, so in my mind, absolutely not. Zaitsev is not on the opening night roster. I hope this is the last time we've seen him in a Sens uniform. Um, probably not the case, but uh, but one can hope. Yeah, I think if you're dressing both him and Hamannick in your opening night roster, you're going to have some issues, a lot of issues, truthfully. Uh, I Yeah, I don't know if it was – I have never really enjoyed Zaitsev, you know, I get it. There was a bit of a honeymoon period where he wasn't Cody CC. So people seem to enjoy that. And for a while, the team wasn't trying to be good. So it was fine when, you know, he threw a grenade up the middle of the ice or just, you know, lost four guys in front of the net and went, went and acted as a third man in the corner or whatever. But yeah, like 
last year it's just there's sometimes where it's like so obviously I'm a big stats person you know that's I try and look at the game analytically as much as I do eye test and there's some guys where it's like when I'm watching I kind of understand where the stats and the eye test maybe don't match up in terms of what people see and a, a classic guy like that is Austin Watson where is his stats aren't great by any means. Like I think he's more of a 13th forward than he should be a 12th, but you know, he works hard and it's very obvious he's working hard out there. You know, like it just looks like he's trying his hardest and, and there is something to that. You know, I think maybe sometimes it's a little overstated, but there is something to that where it's like, especially on a young team where you're seeing this guy, you know, where, 29 points out of the playoffs and this guy's putting his body on the line on every PK, every five on five shift out there. That's fine. I buy that. With Zaitsev, it's not even like his eye test is good. Like, as you said, he the amount of times I watched him last year just abandon the front of the net or abandon his guy just to go. And even if he did get the puck, it looks like he has never, ever, ever practiced with it on a stick because watching him try to break the puck out is one of the most hideous things I've ever seen. Like he just, he literally, the active grenade is the, the expression I keep using over and over again, because when he gets it on a stick and he faces any little bit of pressure, that thing is just getting wired down the ice. And it's just oh, yeah. like, it's Oh yeah, literally. Like <laughs> I just, I don't know what DJ Smith saw in him. And I'm really hoping that, you know, last year was just a smoke screen to try and boost his trade value somehow, because I'm still, I agree with you. There's no way he should be playing in this lineup at all. I would just send him down to Belleville, to be honest. Like, if you can't find a trade partner. I don't have faith yet in the coaching staff to do that, though. I think DJ Smith legitimately likes this guy. And even if he tries to justify as a sixth defender, I just don't think he's a number six anymore. I think you can get away with a guy like Travis Hamannick as your number six, who Mm -hmm. I don't think is particularly good either. I think you're really asking for trouble with either one of those in your top four. And I think you're asking for all kinds of issues if both of them are playing in your lineup. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I just, I just can't, I can't do it with Zaitsev. You know, like it doesn't sound like his camp's been particularly good, but my argument to that would be his nope. last three years haven't been particularly good. And we keep seeing him get ice time. So this was, the I would say it summer. looks worse. Like it, <laughs> it looks worse in camp than even the last couple of seasons reasons it's it's been exemplified exactly so you know i don't know i i it's one of the things where i'll believe it when i see it kind of thing the one bright spot i think is this is the first summer they legitimately talked all summer that they're like oh yeah this team is really trying to move this contract like they don't want him yeah. on this team and shouldn't say want him they don't want his deal on the team and they feel they have better options which I think is a very accurate statement again i have nothing personally against Nikita Zaitsev. never met the dude i'm sure he's a good guy in person, you know, like I haven't heard anything bad about him or anything like that. It's just as a strictly hockey player, he is just not an NHL caliber player. You know, like if, yeah. if the only role you can play is each big minutes on a team that is actively trying to lose, that probably means you're not a very good hockey player. And that's fine. But, you know, the, a team that's trying to compete for playoffs just cannot be icing him in, an, in a lineup regularly. You know, if they use him as a seventh or eight D sure whatever like if he needs to come in for a game or two it's not the end of the world but i just i'd ideally like it to not happen yeah absolutely i mean the every time the puck hit his stick the play was dead i mean it it was like uh similar to chris tierney on the offensive side you know i I know there was jokes about that last season but uh the offense went to die on chris tierney's stick and 
It's basically everything goes to die on Nikita Zaitsev's stick. And you can almost see it in, I mean, I don't want to say it out loud, but like Eric Brandstrom playing with him tonight wasn't even looking at him as an option. He's just like, no, I've got to do everything myself. And nor should he, you know? like Yeah. He wants because- to make the team. You pass it to Zaitsev, you're defending your entire shift. Literally, there's going to be a bomb up the middle, and then suddenly you look bad for sending a turnover in your end. You're probably also caught out of position because you're not expecting your partner to just send a muffin up the ice or whatever, right? So, yeah. and, and if the Sens want success this season, they have to play way more with the puck. They need to increase the puck possession. They have to take care of the puck a lot more, and I think that has been a focal point in the preseason. Of course, it's a lot easier when you're playing the Montreal Canadiens, who are another team going hard for Bedard. So... Um, so I, I think that will be a point of emphasis and we'll see how well they can play a system that carries the puck on their stick a lot more than they have in the past. Cause to me, that's going to be a telltale sign. You can look at, you know, I, they could have a quick strike offense. Is that sustainable? I don't think so. I don't think that's going to make you the playoffs. I think you have to have a good cycle game and you have to wear the other team down and you Ultimately, you have to have the puck on your stick and you have to be playing in the offensive zone. The best defense is a good offense. Yeah, absolutely. That's an amazing point. You know, they played just way too much uh, dump and chase last year. And, and some of it was necessity. You know, they didn't have the, the bottom six players or even guys sometimes in the tops. You know, like Connor Brown's a great player. He shouldn't probably be, you know, on a good team. He's not the second line right wing where, you know, unless, he, unless he's very clearly the third best player on that line which at times he wasn't on the second line, you know, like, cause there was an Adam Gaudet on the left wing playing with him or whatever. So, um, you know, some of it is a necessity, but yeah, that's the one thing for like, especially I, I've talked about a bit on my other podcast is like a guy like Tim Stutzlot, even if his points don't, and I think his points will take a big jump forward playing with just better line mates, but even if they don't like jump, jump off the page, like I'm not expecting, he doesn't have to put up 90 points in 82 games or anything like that. But if he puts up 65, 70 points in 82 games, but improves his possession numbers a little more too, where he's driving play at a pretty solid rate. I think that's just as valuable, if not more valuable than putting up say 96 points, but also just doing a lot of it, trying to get by off your skill, right? Because, and you know, not actually dominating the control of the game because it's no secret that almost every team in the top 16 of possession last year made the playoffs. You know, Mm -hmm. the only team that in that came uh, top 15, no, sorry, top 10 in Corsi four percentage, but missed the playoffs for the Vegas Golden Knights. And they dealt and they with, should have been, yeah, yeah, like they should have been in there. They dealt with a billion injuries, including, you know, their goaltender just isn't, there, wasn't available or anything like that. But the top teams in the league, when it came to possession, Florida, Carolina, Calgary, Boston, LA, Toronto, Colorado, Edmonton was up there, you know, Pittsburgh, Minnesota, Tampa, like just all the really, really good teams that you would think of. And it's you know, no Ottawa, coincidence. No, exactly. And it's like that year of year. And Ottawa wasn't horrible last year. They were just a tad under 48%, which put them 21st in the league. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, like taking, going from 21st to even 12th or whatever, is that jump forward that's going to put you from 22nd or so in the league, 23rd to right on the edge of that playoff spot in 16th, where you're at least competing for it. So I I think that's a great point. I I really do think that's got to be a focal point for this team this year. Absolutely. And and that's where I think realistically, I think that's where they're at. If you look at this team on paper ahead of the season and you look at the Atlantic, like you, you have to factor that in well, because if Ottawa was in the West and 
let's say they were in the Pacific, I think they're a lock to make the playoffs in the Atlantic. You know, you've still got to contend with some of those teams and it's like, who are they passing realistically? You know, Boston's still really good. Yes. They're going to start the season injured, but they're still a really good team. And um, I know a lot of teams are circling the Panthers and saying, you know, they got rid of some players, but at the same time, they were the number one team last season. They were the president's trophy winner. So um, they didn't get that much worse in my mind. Mm-hmm. We'll see. We'll see. I mean, uh, Ottawa could definitely surprise some teams. Um, and, and I'm not ruling out the potential that they could pass a team, maybe like Washington, who's getting a little bit older and starting to, you know, fade out in the Eastern Conference. Um, but it, it's ultimately those two final wildcard spots that they'll be chasing. Um, and ideally they're going to be in front of teams like Detroit and Buffalo, but objects in the mirror are closer than they appear. I'll say that with, uh, with Detroit and Buffalo, because, uh, the Buffalo Sabres, man, they, they're building something there as well. And Detroit has Stevie Y. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, there's good teams in the Atlantic. It's, uh, it's funny, uh, on future sickos with, uh, with Brennan, we always talk about the great shift. I think that's what we're calling it now. And the teams like the Ottawa's and Detroit's and Buffalo's are coming. And, you know, you see teams like Tampa Bay, it hasn't happened yet, mind you. And, um, and even Toronto who has some of those steep contracts and they're running into that, that money issue um, and Boston, it, you're going to see a shift in the Atlantic uh, division. And ultimately eventually the senators and, and Sabres and Red Wings will probably be at the top and Montreal, maybe not too far behind them. Yeah, I think it, one thing's for clear. It's not going to be eight teams with 100-plus points making the Atlantic or the um, Eastern yeah, Conference playoffs was, again this year, right? Like, that was wild. I mean, it was it was very definitive, right? It was like, yeah. these are the playoff teams and these are not. And it was like that for so long yeah. that it, it made it an uneventful race. Like, there just was no playoff race where this year it's going to be closer for sure. There's definitely going to be teams knocking on the door, so... Uh, it should be a really, really fun season and a really fun race. And hopefully, you know, if everyone stays healthy and things go according to plan, the Senators will be in that conversation come trade deadline time. And and maybe Pierre Dorian could add someone and maybe they could look at the defense. Maybe even, you know, they'll tackle that a little bit sooner, sooner than later as, the, you know, we hear about the Jacob Chikrin rumors that are uh, it, it almost seems like the Matt Duchesne thing to me where it's, it's been so long now that you're just, when it happens, it's just going to be like, Oh, cool. Like we knew that was going to happen. <laughs> That's a good place too. And yeah, I was going to say out of the four Atlantic teams, I think this year, Boston's the team who got a circle just because they are hurt, but mm-hmm. I've seen, you know, basically every model I've seen project for projection wise, you know um, I know there's been a couple that really heavily weight goalies. So they have Toronto a little further down. But the majority I've seen is like, if all four of those, those top teams are healthy, they're all 100-point teams again, which is like, which seems about accurate because they're all that good. And I agree with you. I think Florida's gotten a little worse this year. They had like 125 points last year. I don't think they've gotten, that would mean they need to get like 35, 40 points worse to miss playoffs. I don't think they got that much worse, you know? Like even Toronto put up 115 points last year. Say what you want about their goaltending. I think they got them way more than enough talent to outscore their problems in the regular season. And Tampa is Tampa, you know? Like, so I think Boston's got to be the team you circle. But yeah, the defense. um, So there's two things on that. One, I absolutely do think they need to upgrade their defense if they want to try for playoffs at some point. If it's not right now, I think it's got to be, you know, maybe December or January, a team like uh, 
say Winnipeg falls out of the race a little bit. They, you know, they're disappointed with their start. Maybe a guy like a Dylan DeMello reunion kind of thing. He's got two years left at a $3 million deal. I know I like people that. are sick of hearing that name, but that's the kind of idea, right? Where it's a guy who's had a year or two left on his contract. You know, DeMello, he's not a top pair defenseman or anything, but he's good number four who would be really good alongside like a Jake Sanderson or playing up with Shabbat to let Zoo play along Sanderson, right? Like he can move up and down your lineup. Um, or there's obviously the Jacob Chichen rumors. And I'm curious to get your thoughts. Do you want to see the Sens go all in on Chitrin? Does it depend on the price? Or do you think, are you a little more out on Chitrin? Well, it depends on the price. I think that you have to start there because, um, you know, Arizona was asking for Shane Pinto. Uh, having watched Shane Pinto play this preseason, he's been the best Ottawa Senator, bar none. Like it hasn't even been close. He's been so good that I think people are starting to talk about, you know, is, is Chickering going to challenge Norris and Stutzla? Like how soon can this, or, or how much longer can this guy stay a third line center? He's just looked that good. So I think that's a player that they can't give up. I mean, they, they can't replace him internally anyway. So, um, so if that's what Arizona wants and, and they're dead set on that, then I think there's no deal to be had. Um, but if they're a little bit more open-minded, you know, it would be tough to see even a Ridley Gregg go because he's a really, really promising looking prospect that can do so much for you. But is, you know, at, at some point you have to give something away to get a Jacob Chikrin, right? And it is tough because you get attached to these prospects and you get atta attached to these roster players. But at the end of the day, you know, if you're getting rid of a third line player who may or may not be a top six player down the road, um, for a legitimate top four defenseman that you ultimately need, like you said, to make the playoffs. If you're serious about making the playoffs, everyone knows. And Pierre Dorian's been very vocal about it. Everyone sees him coming in terms of up, upgrading that D. So um, it is something they will have to address. It is something they have to do. They currently have players playing too high up their lineup. I mean, Jake Sanderson ideally would be your number five, six, um, to start his career. And that's no slight to Jake Sanderson. It's just that he's a 20 year old defenseman uh, coming out of college. Um, so to expect him to be not only a top four defenseman, but log so many minutes to alleviate, like we said, Thomas Shabbat's minutes, it, that's a huge expectation for a kid. Um, and then, you know, tra uh, Travis Hamanick seems like a really energetic, um, com compete, really high compete, compete player. Um, but again, ideally like that's your number six, seven defenseman, um, not so much your number four defenseman. So, um, so there's guys asked to do things that they're probably not quite capable of. Um, one being that he's a little bit older and past his prime and one being that he's just starting his career. So, um, so to me, the Jacob Chikrin thing is an exciting avenue to explore and at the same time is he worth three first round picks absolutely not um especially with his injury history i think that's something you have to consider and is he the right fit like is he the right player that you need he is good defensively he has good defensive metrics um he can provide offense he's good on the power play he has a good shot how much can he play is he going to be healthy what's his wrist look like what's you know, what, what's the injury history look like and how much can you expect out of Jacob Chikrin? And I think those are the questions that not only the senators are asking, but every team that's interested in Jacob Chikrin 
is asking right now. And I think that's why it's kind of stalled. Um, but at the same time, you know, Arizona says they're not in a rush to move him. I think that's kind of bogus too. I, I don't think they want Jacob Chikrin, who has made it very clear to the media that he does not want to be a member of the Arizona Coyotes. So um, I don't think they're going to want their young players surrounded by um, a player that really doesn't want to be there ultimately. So when he's ready to play hockey, I think that's when he'll get moved. And um, if Ottawa has sort of the leading um, offer at that stage, then I think Arizona will take it. And I think he could become an Ottawa Senator. Um, as I mentioned, I think it feels like the Matt Duchesne thing. And, um, we're always sort of playing with uh, the mock trades have been endless all summer for, for Jacob Chikrin. Um, but I think you're playing with, you're, you're going to be talking about probably a Ridley Greg, or if it's not Ridley Greg, then maybe you're throwing in a second first round pick. Cause, cause there's going to be, you know, Ridley Greg, maybe a first in 2023, which is uh, a supreme looking draft, I might add. Um, so those, those picks are at uh, a premium um, and more, like you're going to have to add more. You're probably going to have to part ways with one of Jacob Bernard, Docker, Eric Brandstrom, or Lassie Thompson. Um, and the list probably doesn't stop there either. So I think that's the asking price um, and ultimately the price that you're going to have to pay to get the player. Yeah, and I'll be honest, if it's Greg, a first, and like a JBD, I don't think I'm doing that. I, I've got to be honest, you know. Um, maybe, I'd maybe be a little more open to it if Zaitsev's contract's also going back the other way. Um, you well, know, where I would expect the, that to be part of it, but then are you adding an additional pick, right? Like if yeah, you're sending Zaitsev, probably an additional, at least an additional second, you would think. Yeah, but I, I have some questions about Chitron as well, you know, like, a, I think how comfortably can he play the right side is a thing that needs to be brought up. I don't yep. think he can't, but he has played the left side a lot more than he's played the right in his career. Um, yep. So, you know, it, it's a question that you at least need to ask yourself before going in and moving a bunch of assets. And the other thing is too, like, I think he's been a little overrated. I think maybe it's coming back down to earth a little more now, but the peak of this summer, he was getting very overrated of what kind of player he was. Like people are calling him a legit number one defenseman. I was like, I don't, I don't think he's a, Shown he had one really, really, really good year. The short, the shortened season, he yeah. was really good. And then really, had, really good, at, especially when it comes to goal scoring. Yeah. And then he's had a bunch of years where he hasn't been bad, but as he said, he's been much closer to a top four guy, you know, like a second pair guy than he has been that yeah. legit top 30 defenseman. So it's what are you also expecting from him when you get him? And like if you if they told me that, you know, they gave up some assets and expecting him to be a three, four kind of guy. I wouldn't be disappointed in that. I just, I think you got to be a little weary when it comes to, as you said, like Greg, who I I'm a little lower on Greg than people. I think he's going to be a good NHL player, but I just don't see like a bona fide top six guy in there. I think he could be like a very good third liner, which has a ton of yeah. value. Don't, don't get me wrong, but that's the kind of guy I'm okay moving for a guy, you know, like a second pair defenseman. But then, as you said, if it's also then a first-round pick, I would assume it's probably going to be, like, top 10 protected. But this is still, like, looking to be a really good draft where, let's say Ottawa just misses out on the playoffs, and mm -hmm. that pick is 15th overall. Oh, that's and it's like be... this draft is more than really good. Like, this is going to be – like, this is going to be compared to right now, and it's always, it's always premature when you're talking about prospects, but 
this draft looks like close to the McDavid draft. Like the 2015, it's, yeah. Like, yeah, it's And that was like, insane. you go look at the stars yeah. that came out of that draft. Like, it'd yeah. be like an Ottawa picking, that was the Shabbat year, correct? Yeah. If I'm like, yeah, so it'd be like, honestly, it would kind of be like, if their pick is 15 or 16, that's right around the area. They got Shabbat, like, yeah, that's as long as you don't player. Boston Bruins the draft, you're fine. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Yes, with yeah, the three picks where they could have Connor Shabbat. Um, yeah, I think uh, wasn't Barzell was in there as well. Yeah, Barzell yeah. was there. Besser was yeah. another one. Just just an absolute embarrassment of riches, and they didn't take any of them. But yeah, um, yeah, no, like so if it's already like a, a Ridley Gregg, who's a good prospect. Don't get me wrong. Question is upside a little bit, but still mm-hmm. a very strong prospect a first in a absolutely stacked draft. And then also another guy like in, like if it's Branstrom or JBD or, you know, Lassie Thompson, who look like they're no doubt NHL players. Again, you can question the upside a little bit, but like that's three mm-hmm. legitimate assets for it's like, okay, well, how much of an upgrade are we getting here? And, you know, that's just the questions you got to ask. I, I would be totally okay if they decide to go in a different way. I think, you know, I'm, I don't think it's, I, I've, Definitely gotten to the point where it's not him or bust. I would be very okay if, you know, they try it out for now. They try a JBD or Lassie Thompson in that right side to start. If they don't look very comfortable by the time you get to, say, November or December, again, maybe you go shopping around to um, Winnipeg or, you know, there's always a team that thinks they're a lot better than they actually are and they're going to be out of it. You know, like the New York Islanders. Yeah, exactly. Like the New York Islanders are another team where everyone seems – locked in that they're going to bounce back and I'm, I'm just not sold on that you know like maybe a scott mayfield they're very available 29 yeah. years old 1.45 million dollars he's more of a third pair guy but he would be an upgrade still you know if they do yeah. something like that i think it would be okay but i think it's an absolute necessity that at some point this season you know assuming they are in position to do so that they do upgrade that blue line yeah i, I mean i was on team john marino before he got yep, traded that's to another great one you know, I thought that would be such an ideal fit um, for a kid like, like Sanderson. Like, you know, Branstrom's you pair him with a Ty yeah. Smith type prospect, right? Like, yeah, so very I mean, similar, right? I mean, hmm. similar upside, got the offensive flair, not so much defensive game yet. And, um, but, but I, I mean, Ty Smith was a little bit more proven. So I get why, um, why they opted for that, uh, that option. But to me, I, that's a, you know, that's one that I would have paid a, maybe a little bit more for. And I thought he was locked into a pretty fair deal as well. So um, I was a little disappointed when Marino was traded, but, um, but it doesn't mean, like you said, that it, as soon as a team falls out, you know, par- partially through the season, then there's going to be more options than Chikrin. And do you want to pay King's ransom for a guy that may or may not fit in your lineup? I don't know. Um, I don't know that he wouldn't fit either. And, and that's, you know, that's yep. the other part. It, it's, I did watch um, an isolated amount of his games, thanks to Instat um, going back and I was able to isolate, okay, let's look at all the games that he played on the right side. And how did he do? And I was able to, you know, break it down shift by shift and sort of look into that. And I thought he played quite well defensively. Um, I think the puck moving part is interesting when you're playing your offside because you're on your backhand. So it's a, it's an interesting little um, wrinkle that as a defenseman, you have to think about, but, uh, but I thought he used his partner well um, and made some shorter, more support passes as opposed to the long sort of bank stretch passes. 
Yeah, so. yeah, and I should clarify. Like, I'm not going to be pissed if they go and trade for him or anything. No. Yo, he would He's upgrade legit. this. I mean, yes, exactly. He would no. upgrade this blue line, no questions asked. It's just yeah. is the opportunity cost worth it? I think is what they're going to have to to look into. But um, the one other topic I wanted to touch on real quick because there's the only one of actual news that we've had is you know um, Dorian went out and kind of solidified the goaltending this year. You know, Forsberg played amazing last year. Earns a three-year contract. I was a little skeptical of it, but, you know, he looked really good last, like really, really good season last year. And I feel a lot more confident when he goes out and gets Cam Talbot, who I think has been an underrated goalie in this league for seven years now. He had one bad year in Edmonton in which he then got flipped and was bad in Philly as well. And then other than that, he has just been a very average goaltender for about a decade with a couple, like one really good year and then a couple decent years in there as well. But just very average. Like if he gives you nine, 11 goaltending, nine, 12 goaltending, that's about what you expect and you're happy with. Love that move, picking him up. I thought, you know, all these guys are going to be a great tandem, 82 games. Like I could honestly see something, obviously depending on injuries, be like a 45, 38 game slip between the two. Well, turns out Cam Talbot cracks a rib, I believe is what they're calling it. Um, Practice didn't realize it was really cracked. So tried to play through the pain a little bit, went and got x-rays. They called it out. I think it was five to seven weeks. Uh, I saw a Dragon report that said, Mm -hmm they might now be expected closer to three to five. So we'll see how long he's out for, but nonetheless, unfortunate injury to start the year. And, you know, now it's, it's on Forsberg and uh, Magnus Helberg, who they uh, acquired <laughs> off the of waivers to uh, hold cool down name. the fort. Cool name and awesome pads. I don't know if you saw awesome those pads. tonight. Those oh, are man. insane. Yeah. Unreal. He's um, going to look good. I mean, yes. <laughs> he may not look good, but he's going to look good. <laughs> yes, exactly. So it, it's on yeah. those two to hold down the fort. Um, what are you expecting out of the goaltending in the first little bit here? You know, do you, do you uh, feel confident about Forsberg or is it something that, you know, you're a little worried about? Uh, I would, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't a little bit worried that, you know, because they planned for Forsberg and Talbot. They had, like you said, that really solid, whether it's a backup or a 1A you're calling. I, I still think Forsberg was probably going to get the majority of starts given um, like you said, the back half of the season where he stood on his head many nights for the Senators um, and really looked good. Um, but uh, but yeah, Cam Talbot is a significant loss where we can't um, bend the truth at all. I, I think, um, you know, Helberg is unproven and he's 31 years old, if I'm not mistaken. So it's not like he's a kid either. Um, he looked good in the KHL, like he had solid numbers there, but it's always hard to say because there's such a slant on some of those uh, heavy good teams in the, the KHL. Teams, yeah. Right? yeah. So it, it's really hard to say, right. Cause it would be like him playing on um, the Colorado avalanche or something, for example, out in the NHL where it, it's just such a good team that sometimes the numbers are a little skewed. Um, but I'm not expecting, expecting them to rely on him a whole lot. I, I looked ahead at the schedule and there's not a whole lot of back-to-back situations. In fact, I don't think there's any, um, so you're really only going to go to Helberg if you see Forsberg start to struggle. Um, or, I mean, touch wood if he gets hurt, uh, which would really kind of ruin the start of their season, I think. Um, so it just, it does add pressure to Forsberg. But, um, you know, he had pressure at times last season. I mean, Matt Murray was not a dependable, um, whether you want to call him the number one or whatever, Matt Murray was during his tenure with Ottawa. Just it just wasn't a consistent goaltender. I know that. Um, so Forsberg has really held down the fort um, in net, and I'm confident in Forsberg. And at the same time, 
maybe not confident enough to say that he can play every single game and be lights out every night um, where I think, you know, he might need some rest and I'm not sure what Helberg is. I just have no idea. So uh, it'll be interesting. It'll be a storyline. That's for sure. And, um, you know, going back to the Chikrin thing, does it rush them into a move to improve their defense? That's something else I was considering, um, you know, because it, it, it's funny how the Talbot injury occurred and then the rumors started back about Ottawa being hyper interested in acquiring Jacob Chikrin. So uh, the timelines kind of added up there. And I'm thinking, I wonder if they maybe added a piece to uh, to their price. Uh, to try to get uh, strengthen that D so that they don't have to be so reliant on goaltending. But I mean, either or uh, for goaltending in general is going to have to play lights out if Ottawa wants any chance to make the playoffs regardless. So um, we'll, we'll just have to see where it goes. How are you feeling about it, uh, Alex? I'm curious. I think I'm a little worried. I, I like, I wouldn't be, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't, you know, I think just in general, I I'm curious to see what Forsberg brings us here. Like, I don't think people realized how good he was. Uh, he was a top 10 goalie in the NHL last year, which seems crazy to say, but like his statistics were all like, they were like 10, but they were still top 10 worthy. Right. Um, that's how strong he had, especially that back half of the season. And I don't know, I'm trying to see, I think if this is just me trying to convince myself and being a bit of an optimist, but for the situation they were placed in, you know, I was kind of like when they claimed Helberg off of waivers, I was like, who, who is this guy? And I actually kind of, for the situation where there's absolutely nowhere else you're getting a third goaltender from in this short of notice, I actually don't mind him as an option to start a couple games if needed. As he said, like he's 31 and he has five NHL games played. I'm not expecting this dude to step in and post a 925 or anything and then, you know, go on a massive run and nothing like that. But in his, even in his five years in the KHL before he made the jump back to the NHL, he played three of them on SKA St. Petersburg, which like some of those KHL teams, it's like playing on Colorado in the AHL. If you were like took the abs and put them on in the AHL, but like yeah. he also played on the Kunlin Red Stars, who were one of the worst teams in the KHL and then like a 920 with them. And then also played on another team that I don't think was very good um, in his last year as well. And, you know, again, look just pretty solid. So, there is at least some upside, I think, there in terms of like, this isn't a guy where he's been putting up 880s in the NHL for the past five years. And it's like, well, let's go see and hope, you know, the ninth, we're the ninth team to try him, but we, we strike magic. Who knows? But um, yeah. And he's I, big the, too, right? Like that, that's very, the other yeah. factor. He's very big. So he doesn't have to rely so much on that athleticism or, you know, whatever being exceptional that you have to make up for it. Your angles being perfect. When you're exactly. a big goaltender, it's pretty forgiving. We see yep. that with with Sogard, right? When he's taking the net right now, he's not he's not a perfect goaltender by any means at this stage in his career, but sometimes it just hits him. Exactly. And, you know, but the, the schedule thing you brought up is great. I just look, I, I'm, I'm wondering if maybe my perception is a little off because of how jam-packed the schedule's been for two years because of COVID, but this is the lightest schedule I can remember in a long time. It's they a light have, start. Two back-to-backs in 2022. The first one comes December 2nd and December 3rd. Yep. The second one comes uh, December 22nd and December 23rd, which are both at home. So they're just sitting in Ottawa back-to-back days. That is very doable. And then the third back-to-back of the season is from Detroit on December 31st to Ottawa on January 1st. So again, not much travel. Like 
They have, I think it's six back-to-backs all season, which again, just probably comes with not such a compact schedule, but just to start, yeah, like they do not have a back-to-back till December and Cam Talbot will be back by then. So I, I definitely think, you know, I think Forsberg probably gets the Sabres because that's the, the season opener. Yeah. The Leafs, maybe maybe you get Helberg in against the Bruins. No, actually, sorry, that's, that's the, the home, home opener. Home opener. Uh, so yeah. Forsberg will go there. Okay. Yeah. I think yep. Helberg either gets the Capitals or the Coyotes. I could see, you know, toss them up to the Coyotes, give them a nice, yeah. easy start. But yeah, yeah, I think, and then, you know, Forsberg will probably play against the Stars. Um, maybe you give Helberg either one of the Wild Panthers or Lightning. Those are all three really good teams, but, Oof. you know, you're on yeah. that kind of swing. So, but like, I, I do think that, you know, and by that point, I think Murray or Murray Talbot will probably be getting ready <laughs> to get Murray. back. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> we're already into early November by that point, which would be, you know, even if it's the five week term that they think it is, that would be about hitting that mark a little soon for that maybe. But um, yeah, so I think there's a legitimate chance where it's like, even if Talbot is out till say, I'm just going to pick a date here, November 21st, that absolute worst case scenario. That's when they go and start mm-hmm. their uh, West coast road trip. Like, I think there's there's a bunch of games in that area too where they play the Devils, the Sabers, the Islanders, the Flyers, the Devils, the Canucks, the Flyers. Like that's a lot of teams that might not be very good, right? Like yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you can get by if Talbot needs an extra week or two to get rested and play. Where and obviously Halbert's going to look capable, but yeah, there might be a chance where it's like they get seven weeks in the season. Forsberg has played most of the games, but that's still not a giant sum of work. So um, I. That point is a really good one because that that makes me a little more optimistic. But just in general, I am curious to see what uh, Forsberg can do, regardless of Talbot's health following up his year last year, because I'm not expecting him to post the numbers he did last year. But again, like if him and Talbot can combine to just give you 915 goaltending, that's a little above league average, but even like 913, 914, this team has improved so much up front that I I think just league average goaltending will be enough to see a big jump in the standings too there's going to be nights where they can outscore their problems. Like there just is going to be those nights where they're going to win five, four and yep. it's, it's going to happen, um, you know, quite a few times this season. Cause they, they do finally have that talent up front. Absolutely. And I think that's how they should play. You know, not every night, obviously there's gotta be some times where you lock it down offensively a little bit, but when you have the talent, it's 82 games in a long season. You got to find different ways to win. So yeah, if it's a team that wants to play running gun, I think they have the, the, talent and skill to do that so um yeah. I, I think that's pretty good like let's get I, I don't know if you want to give an official prediction sentence playoffs not playoffs how many points where do you think where do you see them standing here in the in the 90 point range and I think you know they could be high 80s they could be low 90s and that might be the difference right between a playoff berth or not a playoff berth and I think as long as they're in that range, I think everyone's going to be happy. I, I don't think it's a make the playoffs or bust season this year. Um, next year, different story. Next year, they got to make the playoffs. Um, this year, in year one of, of Claude Giroux, the Claude Giroux era, uh, I don't know what we're calling it, but year one of uh, the good vibes era, um, the Senators will be close. Um, but I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say not quite there yet. Based on the current roster I see, if Pierre gives me a defenseman, um, a legitimate top four defenseman, I'll change my mind. I, I think that's a, a reasonable take. I have them kind of in the same range. I think next year, the good thing is too, like Boston looks like they're all in this year. So if you're saying, well, what's going to change next year? Boston looks like they are going to rebuild starting next year. So that's already one of the big four teams that are out. 
I'm not confident. I don't think they're going to crack in the top three of this division. I'll go out on a limb, though. I think Pierre Dorian makes an addition halfway through the year, improves the right side of that blue line, and they sneak into one of the wild card spots. Um, I think, but I, I do think 90 points, you know, maybe it's high 80s, but if they're making a wild card, I think it's 94, 93, 95-ish, somewhere around there. But I think that's the reason, like they should be in that 88 to 96 point range, I think. Um, you know, obviously a 96, 97, that'd be the, the higher end of variance where everything goes perfectly. 86, 87, that might be the low end where, yeah, you got some injuries, maybe your goaltending wasn't great or as good as you, you were hoping. But I think they'll be right in there somewhere. I think the one thing I can absolutely say is this is going to be a thrilling season to watch and the most exciting season we have had in half a decade. Absolutely. I can't wait to watch it. Me too. Um, Derek, thank you so much for joining me tonight, man. Uh, Plug some stuff. Where can people find you and your work? Yeah. So uh, at Future Sickos podcast, you could give us a follow there. We just hit 2000 followers. So we're very thankful for, uh, for everyone tuning in. Um, and at DLee075 on Twitter. Can't recommend uh, both of those enough. Uh, absolutely go check those out. The work they do is absolutely awesome. You guys have been killing it with some great interviews and great podcasts recently. And I uh, always enjoy reading every, everything that the, you, uh, you post, whether that's podcast or, or writing. You know, you do some amazing stuff. So, uh, Derek, can't thank you enough for joining me. I'll have to have you on again later in the season because I'm sure there will be no end to the storylines that we can talk about this year. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Alex. Always a pleasure. Huge thanks to Derek for joining me. As always, love having him on the podcast. I hope you guys all enjoyed as much as I did. Uh, Really excited to, uh, you know, have the season previews done. And we are now getting ready to get to actual hockey, which is super exciting to say. Um, I don't know if you can hear in my voice. I am very sick right now. Uh, I'm getting the uh, season-changing cold, I believe. Doesn't seem to be COVID, so that's good. Um, But that's why this episode was a little delayed coming out. Um, With that being said, uh, I think I speak for everyone when I say I'm really excited for hockey to start again this week. And I will definitely be uh, getting back to podcasts throughout the the year, breaking down Senders Hockey. So if there's anyone you want to hear, as always, let me know. And I'll absolutely do my best to get them on the podcast. And uh, if there's anything you want us to hear talk about, uh, again, uh, let me know. So um, as always, you can find me on Twitter at NHL Sends and Stuff. Uh, You can find all my writing at lastwordonhockey.com, as well as my other podcast with Chase McCallum, uh, the M&M Hockey Podcast. We talk about all kinds of stuff uh, around the league. So it's not just centers focused, it's all teams focused. And uh, yeah, that's a lot of fun as well. So thank you everyone so much for listening. And I look forward to coming back to you with actual NHL and Ottawa Senators hockey to talk about. I hope everyone has a great Thanksgiving who's from Canada. And uh, I will see you all next week.